0: I got to go to Iceland uh, a few years back in 2017 and I got to be a part of a zombie banishing.
1: You're, it looks like you're in basically like, you know, like a normal like one room art gallery. Like it's like white walls, pretty empty stuff, like pasted up on the walls or, or, or tacked up on the walls. And then there's like a dude in furs and like a fur hat and like a fur vest Chanting and like going around a in a circle, a sorcerer. Sorry, yes. Yeah, well, he looks sorry, that, or, a sh- or a shaman. Yeah, he looks he looks like a, a sorcerer, or a shaman, and he's sort of doing <laughs> a, this circle, and then he's spitting. It's very incongruous these things uh, together.
0: Yeah. Well, what you can't see in that video is the life size skeleton crawling out of the floor. <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: okay, tell me more.
0: <laughs> I'm Eric Grundhauser, and this is Atlas Obscura. A celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we're venturing far away from the hot dogs and bars of Reykjavik to a remote village in Northern Iceland. There, we'll explore the ancient lore of the occult in Iceland, learn how to steal milk from our neighbors, and lay our eyes upon a pair of pants made of human flesh. The Museum of Icelandic Sorcery and Witchcraft, after this.
1: along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com.
0: I know who you
1: are, but no one else does. Uh, Who are you, and what do you do? Uh,
0: My name is Eric Grundhauser. I've been at Atlas Obscura for nine years. I've written over 500 places, edited thousands and thousands more, written hundreds of articles.
1: You're the Atlas Obscura all-rounder. You have been there since it was like three people in a room.
0: It's true. You know, it's funny. The original Atlas Obscura office was about the same size as the room at the Museum of Icelandic Sorcery and Witchcraft. We (laughs) also (laughs) also a stark white box.
1: (laughs) So, okay.
0: First, tell me once more. Where is this witchcraft place? Yes. So, uh, obviously, the Museum of Icelandic Sorcery and Witchcraft is in Iceland, but it's actually up in a uh, sort of northwestern, uh, more remote part of Iceland called the Westfjords. Uh, And it's in an area called Holmavik. It's a small seaside village. Maybe only two, 300 residents. Uh, and then you have the museum. They built it to look sort of to evoke a 17th century Icelandic building. So it's covered in sort of dark, blackened driftwood slats. Oh, wow. The roof is a turf roof, so it's got grass growing all across the top. It looks like almost part of the landscape. Uh, it's really, really incredible. And when I got to go there in 2017, I met this man named Siggy Atlason. He was one of the main founders of the museum. Um, unfortunately, Siggy passed away in 2018, but when I was there in 2017, I was lucky enough to be able to record an interview with him. Do would, would you consider yourself uh, like a, a, a shaman? Like, what would you
2: call a wizard? I'm just a normal guy. You know, <laughs> just you know, I just ride my bicycle and make food and, uh, and cuddle my cat, <laughs> uh-huh. and sometimes
0: send uh, risen dead back to the grave.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once in a while, you know, I, I get rid, pe- get get people rid of bad spirits <laughs> and ideas. <but>
0: right. <laughs> he was just this incredibly uh, passionate, vibrant uh, guy from uh, Holmovic. and he, you know, he was short. He's this, this sort of wild, wily, gray beard goatee. I would describe him as impish. Mm. Mm.
1: Seems like a good quality to have if you're running the Sorcery Museum (laughs) in Iceland.
0: Yeah. Him and some other uh, people from the area got together to create the museum, just uh, mainly as a way to bring tourism to the area. It's Mm. such a remote place, and Iceland... Itself like relies so much on tourism that they needed a way to get people to come and visit their village.
2: This actually could have been something else. Mm-hmm. This uh, this small uh, uh, institution it could have been research center about the whales in the fjord, whale watching, right. you know, hiking paths, the development or whatever. But um, um, the persons who were involved, uh, including me, they we we are all have all been quite interested in history. And there was no museum here in this area, mm-hmm. and uh, magic and sorcery is actually the first thing that comes up to your mind when you go through this area. It's just the landscape, it's a, uh, it's the history, it's the it's tales of this area. People mm-hmm. from all the parts of the country, they always believed that people here in Strandir, which is the east coast of, of the Westfjords, mm-hmm. um, the people in Strandir, they had more knowledge about the occult than others. Mm-hmm. And also the fact uh, that the witch craze in Iceland started in this area. The first burnings took place, and uh, this area was hardly ever mentioned in annals, uh, except for magic and sorcery. Mm-hmm.
0: Or Life in 17th century Iceland was rough. Like it was hard. You were trying to. You were just trying to survive and get by. So a lot of the folklore, a lot of the the witchcraft and sorcery, really survived around uh, <laughs> sort of gaining. Power and advantage over pretty basic things uh, in the most outlandish, supernatural ways possible. Oh, um,
1: right. I'm, I'm on board yeah, for the this. The museum's
0: collection really reflects this. Uh, yeah. There are some just really, really unforgettable displays there. You know, one of my favorite displays is a recreation of a mythological creature called a, uh, a Tilbury. Hmm. And so the best way I could describe it would probably be a sort of wool-covered snake with a screaming baby's head at either <laughs> end. <laughs> <laughs> well that,
1: I will okay. say, evocative imagery. You know? <laughs> evocative, evocative imagery. Disturbing imagery.
0: Um and I I'm not gonna go into the convoluted way that you create a Tilbury, but. I will say that it involves uh, a bone between a woman's breasts and some chewed-up communion wafers, and then at the end you end up with this creature that can steal milk from your neighbor's goats. That's what the heads are for. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but these are like, you know, again, it's when you're if you're thinking of like the folklore that would be created in a hard scrabble world like yeah. the 17th century Iceland. You know, the thing you want is like, how do I survive? How do I get the most basic things? Milk. You know, money, food. You know.
1: Also, feels like you you want to survive, but maybe you don't want your neighbor to survive.
0: <laughs> There's absolutely an aspect of that. You know, the the zombie ritual, for instance, uh, was summoning a dead. Being to do your bidding, whether that's taking revenge on somebody or something like that. Oh, wait! That. You're I mean, there was summoning
1: them? wait. I thought you were. I thought you were sending the zombie you could do back. Both. Oh, oh, oh! It's a two way spell. I'm sorry. I thought it was only for banishing zombies. It's also for summoning zombies too. I believe
0: that the spell we were using, if do I remember, housework. if I remember correctly, was to put a zombie back. Uh huh. Uh huh. Siggy and the other creators of the museum they spent years trying to find examples of this. Sort of supernatural lore, Icelandic lore. A lot of the displays in the museum are a very fantastical, often sort of grim or gruesome things, mm-hmm. um, but they're all based on folk, real folklore. None of it ever actually occurred. The, the magic rituals, I mean. So that a lot of the displays um, are of like you know speculative folklore. Mm-hmm. So to find all of this folklore and things, uh, the creators consulted the. Old annals, grimoires, right we only
2: had the old grimoires, we only had some tales and all that, and we had to make it visible mm-hmm. so it was a long research for two three years um, uh, to find out uh, through the uh, annals, through the priest books, through the uh, judge papers and everything how how did it look like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what are we what are we going to do well yeah. it? you know
1: But um, it sounds like most of the stuff in the museum is not necessarily, um, maybe with the exception of some texts, most of the displays are more like they're creations. They're they're sort of imaginations of of what these rituals could have or theoretically might have been like.
0: Absolutely, yeah. They actually had uh, people who worked in theater and films, like, help them build their displays and their recreations. One of the most evocative, maybe the most one, the one I think that a lot of people go, the star, if you will.
1: But there is a single object in this museum which, once you are aware of, may never leave your consciousness again.
0: I think you're referring to the necropants.
1: I would I would indeed be referring to the necropants.
0: It, it is a pair, uh, it is a, a man's torso from the waist down. Uh, it is uh, naked, it has full male genitalia, these are these are they're um, like
1: they're like skin male skin leggings from like the belly button down basically.
0: And so the idea was, uh, first off, to make these necro pants, uh, you would have to get a willing participant, a friend, uh, someone like that, to willingly say uh, agree that you can take their skin after they have died. It has to be someone who has died and been buried. But uh, once, once that, that's done, <laughs> once that's done, if he's agreed. What you have to do is you go dig them up. Okay. And you take the skin, you have to flay it from the waist down completely seamlessly. No holes. And this includes the skin of the genitalia, the feet, no holes, none of it. And then once you have that, you have an unbroken pair of necro pants, uh-huh. skin pants. But to make them magic, what you need to do is you need to steal a coin. And then you put that coin in the testicular sac. Oh. Huh. Uh, of the necropants, and then you put like, the pants on. Um, but from that day on, that coin sack will produce money forever.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Are there any downsides? Like, it seems like it's kind of, in a way, like, your friends agreed, gross process, but okay, and at the end, you're, like, incredibly wealthy forever. Why Why not? What's the, what's the drawback?
0: So there is an aspect to the myth, uh, before you die, you have to convince somebody to take the pants from you by stepping into each leg as soon as you get out of it. Because if not, then you will die as, like, a sorcerer, essentially. Damned to eternal. eternal... You'll be damned to hell. Okay. <laughs> you, will not, you will not reach <laughs> salvation. Right, right.
1: So you need to, you already really need a necropants inheritor, like, lined up.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you want to be saved. Again, to be clear, this never happened. Siggy was clear that this never happened. This was just the folklore. If people weren't
1: really going to attempt this, like, if it wasn't really for practical use, do you know why someone wrote it down? Like, why was it, why was this a thing that someone put in a book?
0: I don't know the answer to that, but I would say that things like the necropants. The the, the Tilbury, all of these things, all magic in general, sort of all over the world, in general really have to do with creating a sense of power in a world that has rendered you powerless, you know, uh, as fantastical, Mm. as absurd, Mm. as as crazy as something like the necropants uh, or raising a zombie to get revenge on somebody might sound. There is a sense of like sort of power over an uncaring universe that it gives you um a, a sort of sense that you could overcome the, the things that life throws in your way and in a way they're they're really hopeful
1: yeah i mean people now dream about and like talk about what they will do when they win the lottery which is like in a Absolutely. weird way like not that different from this except the bounds of people's lives were like <laughs> way more about getting a little more milk or uh, uh testicles full of coins well, thank you for telling me all about the Museum of Icelandic Sorcery and Witchcraft and the Necropants. And uh, it occurs to me, we're two friends, uh, known each other for a long time. Uh, should we make some sort of like, um, you know, like a like a bargain? Like, you, if whoever goes first, the other one gets Necropants. Is that? Mm. You're not. <laughs> you, you look you look less less open to this than I thought you might be.
0: I was just thinking it over. I 100%. Let's do it. I'm in. <laughs> yes.
1: I'm yes. In. All right.
0: Special thanks to Anna Björk from the Museum of Icelandic Sorcery and Witchcraft. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by...
1: Sarah Wyman.
0: The rest of our production team includes... Dylan Therese Doug Baldinger Chris Naka
1: Camille Stanley
0: Willis Ryder Arnold Manolo Morales
2: Guinevere Govea McKenna Smith Gianna Palmer Tracy Samuelson
1: John Delore Casey Holford Peter Clowney
0: This episode was mixed by
1: Luce Fleming
0: Our theme and end credit music are by Sam Tyndall. I'm Eric Grundhauser Thanks for listening and remember to stay curious Witness Docs